All right. Good morning. Thank you all for that beautiful, beautiful worship. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but it's like I just want to breathe in God's presence here. Uh, so, so awesome. Well, it is so good to see y'all this morning. Uh, we are continuing in this sermon series called Apprenticeship, and we are looking at what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, we use the word discipleship, follower, uh, lots of biblical words that we can use, but uh, there's a writer by the name of Dallas Willard, and we have kind of been focusing on a quote of his to kind of frame this idea of being an apprentice of Jesus. And so you have it there in your bulletins. And so I want to want to read this to you again. I think for the last couple of weeks we've read this, but this is kind of the big idea for this sermon series. He says in the New Testament, discipleship means being an apprentice of Jesus in our daily existence. And remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about back in the, the Renaissance uh, when the printing press had just been invented, that um, that someone who was a master printer would have, uh, maybe he would contract with a, a young boy of about 8, 10, or 11 years old, and this young, this child would come and live with him, live there in the print shop, and be an apprentice. He would be cheap labor, but he would also also be learning the skills so that one day he might go out and open his own print shop himself. And so that is that idea of an apprentice of Jesus. And he says a disciple then is simply someone who has decided to, and, and if you're underlining, if you like to, you know, take notes here, underline that word, be with. It says a disciple then is simply someone who has decided to be with another person. So that's number one, to be with. The second thing is in order to become what that person is or to become capable of doing what that person does. So those are the three things we want to be with as an apprentice. We want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus so that we might do the things that he did. And you might remember we looked at a passage a couple of weeks ago where it says that Jesus called his disciples that they might be with him, that he might send them out to proclaim the good news and to cast out demons. And so it's this rhythm of being with, becoming like, so that we might do what Jesus did. Uh, one of the things that we talked about, and again, this is just kind of a summary and a recap, is that so often I think when I read in the New Testament and I read the scriptures where Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but I give you my peace. He said, I've written the, I've said these things to you so that your joy might be made full in me. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I see passages like that, that this is almost like my right as a, as a child of God to be full of peace, to be full of joy, to be full of love, to be able to have the power to do what Jesus did. And yet sometimes there is this disconnect in my life, and maybe you've experienced this too, where instead of peace, I feel anxiety. Instead of joy, I feel frustration and irritation. And, and instead of being fruitful in ministry, it feels like, you know, that there's that, that I don't be, I'm not able to do the things that I would love to do for the kingdom of God, that the power seems to be missing. And so sometimes I wonder if the reason that there is this disconnect between the fruit, as you will, kind of the fruit of being a disciple, and I wonder if there's a disconnect between maybe we are not doing the things that Jesus did. And so we talked the last couple of weeks about a 
abiding in him, being present with him. When I think about the daily rhythm and the daily life of Jesus, we have, you know, four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the writers kind of captured what Jesus did. Like, what did his lifestyle look like? And some of the things that he did, just some observations about the practices of Jesus. And I've got this, this slide here for us. One of the things that we see when you look at the life of Jesus, and we talked about this, this is a little bit review, but one is that he was never in a rush. He was never in a hurry. Dallas Willard says that that hurry is the enemy of spirituality. Think about how he was productive. I mean, he healed the lepers. The crowds were piling in. He fed the 5,000. He, he was busy, but his spirit was never in a hurry. Um, another thing that we see is that he practiced community, that he you see him eating and drinking and laughing and, and, and hanging out in people's homes. He, he practiced community. He had relationships. You see him walking along the road with his disciples and having conversations. We see this, this practice of investing in other people's lives, having friends. We see that he also, he spent time alone. And that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on today is prayer and silence and solitude. You see this rhythm of him pulling away. We see that he spent time sleeping. Uh, there are accounts of Jesus, you know, he was asleep on the boat. He was asleep sleep in different places and his disciples would even come and wake him up. I wonder if sometimes in the, the, the fast pace of our, of our lives in this digital age and with, you know, our cell phones constantly with us, the, you know, 24 hours, there's always something going on. I wonder sometimes, do, do we just get enough sleep? Do we just get enough sleep? I know that, you know, if you've got a nursing baby or a little one at home, you might long for the days when you can just sleep through the night uninterrupted. But Sleep is so important. He spent time in Sabbath. Uh, we see his rhythm of going to the synagogue to, to worship uh, in community collectively with the people of God. We see him taking time in Sabbath. And we also see that he lived simply, uh, not a lot of excess. You know, I think sometimes the stress and the strain of our, of our modern world, some of it is because there's so much that we have and so much that we have to do. And, you know, well, we've got to have dual income because we've got our mortgage and all this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not demeaning any of this from our modern lifestyle, but, but you think about Jesus, he lived very, very simply. And so as we look at these rhythms, this practice, one of the things that I see is just this intentionality about caring for his soul, his spirit, kind of who he was in, inside of him so that he might be able to have the life of God flowing out of him. And again, you know, kind of our anchor passage for all of this is Jesus said, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. My, my father is the gardener. Abide in me, abide in me. You can do nothing apart from me. And so that's kind of how we're framing this whole sermon series. So last week, um, we've talked about abiding in Jesus, with Jesus. Last week, Mark talked about uh, having the word uh, dwell richly within you. And this week, Week, we're looking at the practice of Jesus of silence and solitude and prayer. Silence and solitude and prayer. So when you think about prayer, where did you learn how to pray? Think about, think about your own world. Think about the prayers that you pray, the words that you say, the how, what, your, you know, what your rhythm looks like. Where, where did you learn how to do what you do, what you call prayer? 
Think about that for a moment. Who modeled that for you? Who didn't model it for you? Did you kind of learn on your own? Did you have someone teach you? My earliest memories of prayer, I, was, I, I really don't even remember a time when, as a family, we did not do this. Now, my family had its own crazy and its own dysfunctions, but one of the good things that we did as a family was every night before I went to bed, either my mom or my dad put me to bed, or maybe sometimes one of my older sisters, but we would pray this prayer. Uh, that, and see if some of y'all know this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, that was just a, it was a rhythm. It was almost like a ritual. And I don't think I ever, I mean, I've read some books that are like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible prayer. You're freaking the kids out because they're going to die while they're asleep. I, as a child, I just never even thought about those words. They were, I said them by rote, but they were comforting to my heart that God was with me. But then what we would do is we would say, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. And then we would say, God bless. And then we would begin to go through, well, God bless mama, God bless dad. God bless Laurie and Joy and Lulu and Papa and my teacher. And I would just begin that we would go down the list of people to, to pray for. And it was God bless, God bless. As I got older, and begin to have more empathy as you hope that all children, as they mature, they grow, they begin to realize the whole world doesn't revolve around them. Some people have not passed that point, but anyway, you hope that most people mature and they realize the world doesn't revolve around me. And I began to be concerned about what others were going through. My prayers would begin to expand a little bit. So let's say maybe my grandmother was having surgery. You know, it might be God bless Lulu and Lord help her, you know, when she's in surgery or, you know, when she goes to the doctor? Can you help her get well? Or you knew that maybe a friend was going through a difficult time. And so the prayers begin to mature. But here's the thing that I wonder, and here's the thing that I, I know from talking to people, is that so often our prayer life really never matures beyond this simple model of prayer. Now, not always, but as I talk to people, and, and one of the things that, you know, I love to lead Bible studies in my home, and, and one of the things that I'm, I'm very aware of is that sometimes when I, you know, maybe in the early days of leading Bible studies, I might say, well, who would like to close us in prayer? Nine times out of ten, it is crickets. It is crickets because people are often uncomfortable praying in front of others because they feel like somehow their words and their ability to pray kind of doesn't measure up. Like I can have a, you know, the, the Bible out and say, who would like to read a passage of Scripture? No problem. I can always get someone to read a passage of Scripture. Who would like to, you know, uh, share an insight? Is there is there something about this passage that connects to your daily life? That is never a problem typically getting people to talk about the word, talk about their experiences, but there is something where it's been my observation that on average a lot of born-again Christian believers feel uncomfortable about their ability to pray. Uh, even when, um, you know, we've got some ladies here at the church that are that are intercessors, and so they take the prayer cards that you turn in, and, and they pray for those, and sometimes we'll be together, and I'll say, well, would you like to pray? And they're like, oh, no, 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 I can't pray in front of you, but I'll pray on my own. So all that to say is that I feel like sometimes we feel like we just don't do it good enough.
So what I want us to do today is I want us to kind of dig in and look at some examples of prayer and this whole rhythm and this whole idea of silence and solitude and prayer from the life of Jesus. And then at the end, I've got just some just some tools and some things that have worked for me that uh, that I feel like have have broadened my prayer life, have helped it mature, uh, and maybe I hope that you will find these things helpful as well. So what we're doing is we're looking at several passages from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and John have examples as well, but I thought I would just just kind of focus on one of the Gospels. Uh, Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know that from the beginning of the book that he said that he, he was not someone who knew Jesus himself, but he uh, interviewed eyewitnesses and so he wrote down this account just imagine he was a journalist and so he interviewed all these people who had actually walked with Jesus and that's what the, the whole gospel of Luke is so one of the things that we see and this is the passage that is in your bulletin there in uh, Luke 5 and this is where we're going to begin we've got several here that we're going to go through uh, Luke writes and he says yet the news about him spread talking about Jesus all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, let me just set this up for you. So Luke, this is chapter 5. It is early in the gospel account. We've gone through Jesus's the birth narrative. And now what we're seeing is Jesus has begun his ministry. And so you see him out proclaiming the good news. You see him going into the synagogue. Uh, he begins, Luke tells us, by going to a city called Capernaum. It is there on the Sea of Galilee. He goes to Peter's home and and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. And so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. When he does that, the news about him spreads. And so there in Capernaum and in that area, people begin to bring everyone, you know, all these people that were sick and, and, and in need, demons and, you know, demon-possessed. And so we see Jesus healing all of these people. And so the news about him has spread. And so now it says that crowds of people are coming to hear him and to be healed. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Have you ever been in that place where it just feels like life is incredibly busy? And it can be busy with good things. It could be that, you know, at work you've got several projects going on. It could be, you know, I think about school teachers and I think about those who work with kids and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got all these kids in this classroom and I've got to say my energy's got to be up for these kids. It could be uh, whatever it is. It can be really great stuff going on and it can feel like there's all this, this energy that you need to kind of be able to, to I don't know, to, to, to be the man, so to speak. So in that moment, though, what do you do? What do you do when it feels like the crowds and all, the, all, that is, all that energy is kind of being sucked from you because of what it is that you've got to do at work or at home or in the community? This is what Jesus did. He said, but Jesus, and again, Luke, Luke is, is recording this from the eyewitnesses. And, uh, and he says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And, and I can just imagine, you know, here is Luke, and he might have been interviewing Peter. He might have been interviewing John. He might have been interviewing uh, Mary Magdalene and saying, what was it like? What was it like to travel with Jesus? What was it like? And I could just envision them saying, you know, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, the crowds were going crazy and he was healing people and our ministry was just flourishing. It felt so successful. We had all this momentum. But here's the thing that we always noticed is that Jesus would withdraw to lonely places and he would pray. 
Now that word lonely there, and I've got it here in this, um, in this uh, slide, is that when you look at the lonely places, when you look at the word in the Greek, it means solitary, lonely, desolate, uninhabited. Uh, some would even say the wilderness to pray. And, and I think about that and think about now we're, we're wanting to model our lives after Jesus. We want to do what he did. What does it look like for you in the busy of your world to pull away to a place that is lonely, to a place that is uninhabited? I'm going to tell you what it looks like for me. It means putting the cell phone away. Uh, in this digital age, I get all of my email. I get all of my text, uh, Facebook. This is a constant source of people communicating with me. And so for me to get away to a lonely place, it means getting my computer in the other room. It means getting my phone in the other room. It means, and actually, too, Get Mark in the other room. So I love my husband. And so we used to laugh at our house and, and talk about having group quiet times. It's like, it just doesn't work for me. It's like, I got, I got to shut the door. You know, I got to be by myself because I've got to shut out all the noise so that I can center and focus on the Lord. Now, Mark is very different from me, and, and you might be different as well. For him, it's why he mows the yard. Uh, he said that my best, my best time of being alone with the Lord is often when I'm mowing the yard, which is a great benefit because we save a lot of money on yard work. But anyway, there we go. So when you see my husband out there, you know, mowing the yard, if you go by our house, I uh, just know, oh, he's with Jesus right now. <laughs> maybe so, maybe not. I don't know. That's what he says. But, but it is that idea of pulling away to a place that is uninhabited by the noise of anyone else communicating with you. Sometimes it also means you've got to clear your brain and your mind and all the thoughts that are just racing around in your head. But get to that place where it's uninhabited by all the other things that would come and distract you from focusing on, on your father. So that's the first thing that we see. Then the next time that, that Luke mentions this is in Luke 6, 12. And so it says, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now, let me give you the context and set this up. Jesus, his ministry is flourishing. People are, are crowds everywhere. I mean, it's just that there is this momentum and energy. And now Jesus has, he's got disciples. We know that. Uh, he's called people to follow him. But now what he needs to do is make the decision out of all those that are following him. They said that maybe he had about 120 that, that were like disciples. He needs to select 12. He needs to select 12 because these are going to be the apostles that one day, with the exception of Judas, who are going to be the leaders of the church after he is crucified and resurrected. And so he, this is a big decision. And so he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever had a time when you spent the whole night in prayer to God? Has there been something that's been so urgent, so pressing, so, 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 I don't know, hard maybe, where you needed God, you needed to hear from God, or you needed God to intervene in a, in a, in a, in a situation? You know, the, the, the memory that comes to my mind, and I, I know I've shared this with y'all before, uh, is, is praying for my kids, especially when they were teenagers. You know, and that's such a, 
at such a critical time in the life of a, of, a, of a young man or a young woman. And I can remember being worried about one of my kids and just literally laying on my floor, you know, hands out like this, just praying for God to, to, to be present in their life, praying that God would help them to make the good decisions, the right decisions, praying that he would reveal them, protect them, lead them in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I hope that you have had know what that experience is of that time when like, I've got to get a hold of God because if God doesn't come through, I, I don't know that we're going to make it here. We see Jesus doing that. The other thing too, now let's look at nine, Luke 9, 28. It says, some eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Let me set this up for you. The time is nearing when Jesus is turning his face to go to Jerusalem. He has just told his disciples that, um, that he is going to be crucified, that he is going to suffer at the hands of the Gentiles. He has told them, he said, and if anyone wants to be my disciple, then he needs to pick up his cross and follow me. So, so the time that, that, you know, the mood is changing, uh, that people, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, there's more and more persecution. There's more and more opposition. So it's, the momentum is very different. The mood has changed. And it says that he took, he took Peter and James and John, and they went up to a mountain to pray. So it's this, there's the times of solitude, but then there's the times of having your brothers and sisters with you, praying with you, standing with you. And, and in, this, in this scene, as you go on and you read, the scriptures tell us, Luke writes, and he says that Elijah and Moses appeared. Elijah and Moses appeared to them. And you know what? This is what, this is what Elijah and Moses and Jesus were talking about, his departure, his departure. I love that. I, I've always just, I, I think, can you imagine you're about to go through one of the most difficult things in your life and, and here Moses and Elijah are here to talk with you about it. So prayer is not just this, you know, God bless Lulu, God bless Lori, God bless Joy, go be with this person. There is this conversation, this, this communication with the living God about his heart for you, his heart for the future, his heart for this church, where there is this back and forth dialogue. And that's what you see there. Then in Luke twenty two forty five, it says, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And so set it up here. This is, this event occurs in the garden of Gethsemane. This is the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. This is the night before he is arrested. And so what happens the next day is um, the trial and the crucifixion and everything. Right before he's about to go through the heart thing that he will ever go through on this earth. Where do we find Jesus? In prayer. In prayer. As I look at this, what I see is this rhythm and this pattern, this way of life of, of pulling away and being with the Lord. But what if, what if you find that it's hard for you to pray. It feels empty when you pray. You don't know if your prayers are, you know, are, are getting anywhere. You don't sense the presence of the Lord. What, what can you do? And I'll tell you two things that, that I have found that 
it have enriched my prayer life. And I'm going to share these two practices with you. And some of you are, are, are you are so much further down the road than I am. Uh, and so this might seem like, you know, elementary school to you. But, but for many folks, I feel like this might be a great starting place. The first place that I try to begin when I go to the, when I go to be with the Lord is I always, I try to begin with adoration, with a time of, of worshiping Jesus. Mother Teresa, this is so interesting, hearing Henry Nouwen, a very prolific author. Um, you might have read some of his work, but Henry Nouwen, this the spiritual giant, he once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. And here is what she said. I've got this on a slide. I think if it could come up. He, she asked, uh, Henry Nouwen asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction. And this is what she said. She said, said, spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord, she said, and never do anything that you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. But I love that. Spend one hour in adoration. When Jesus, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, well, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, so let's, let's have a time out here. I bet you've heard that before, but do you still find that sometimes when you try to sit down and pray, it's like, well, how do I adore God? Like, what does that look like? I, I, need, I need some tools. I need some help. So this is one of the things that I do that I have found helpful is I will choose an image of God uh, from the scriptures. So for example, it might be the 23rd Psalm where uh, the, David writes, uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, this week, what I have been meditating on is the whole idea is that, is that you know, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, my, my father is the gardener. And I have been meditating and worshiping around that, that sentence, that phrase uh, in the gospel of John. It could be that you want to meditate and think about God being the creator of the universe. It could be that you take a passage out of Revelation where you see this heavenly host around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy Lord. But take one image, one phrase, one picture, one characteristic of who God is, who, who your heavenly father is, and spend time thinking about that, adoring him, worshiping him, thanking him. And that is how we begin to come into the presence of the Lord. Now, for me, sometimes it looks like this, is that I've got, I've got to get alone. I've got to get to the quiet place. And then sometimes I simply lift my hands like this as a, as a, as a form of surrender. Father, I'm here. I'm present. Help me to, to, you know, to, be, to center on you, to imagine what you are like, to you know, get my imagination going, so to speak. But there's that time of coming into his presence, centering yourself, and, and worshiping. There was a pastor um, at St. Paul United Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia, Frederick Wilson, beloved pastor, and uh, he, he was Mark's pastor when Mark was in high school, and, uh, and his daughter told Mark one time, she said, you know, when my dad, when he was feeling the pressures of ministry, the, the, the greatest, uh, what he would do is he would go into the sanctuary there at St. Paul, and this is a traditional church, and they had the stained glass windows, and there was this stained glass window, I mean, it's there today, uh, and it is Jesus, you know, and in his arms, he's got a little lamb. He's got a little lamb. And so Frederick Wilson, on the hard days in ministry, he would go into the sanctuary at St. Paul, and he would just sit there, and he would just look at that stained glass window, and he would imagine that he was the lamb.
and that Jesus was his shepherd and that he was in his shepherd's arms. And so he would just sit there until the cares of this world and the cares and the weight of ministry would begin to, would begin to, you know, fall off his shoulders and that peace and that strength would begin to well up within him. Do you see how imaginative prayer, imagining, uh, one of the things that I did this week, thinking about the whole, you know, that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. I've been like watching YouTube videos about, about uh, being a, what do you call it? A, a, you know, like managing the, the vines, a vineyard, being a vineyard. So it was so interesting. This week I watched something from like a county extension agent, you know, somewhere like in Washington State. But they were talking about pruning the, the vines. And it was like, oh my gosh, that is so incredibly interesting. And it was, I mean, there was all this dead wood and they're clipping and they're pulling and they're clipping and they're pulling. And one of the things they said that it was like, oh, I get this. They said that that when you have all those branches that they'll all produce. But what happens happens is the flavor of the grapes is thin. The flavor is thin. And they said, but when you cut it off, you know, you cut off, so you have, you might have less fruit, but the flavor is robust. And I thought, oh, that's what I do. You know, like I try to, I can get spread too thin and I can do it a little good in a lot of places. But I, so just as I've been imagining and meditating on this of God being the gardener and just saying, Lord, you cut off anything in my life that might be good, but it's not the best for bearing fruit for you. Does that make sense? So there's this place of being in his presence. The other thing that I think is helpful, and then, and then there's the time of intercession where we ask God to help people and help us. But then there's a time of listening. And so what this looks like in my life is because prayer is two way. I mean, if God is God, if God is alive, y'all, he's speaking to you. He is speaking to you. He's speaking to me through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And we should expect this to be normal for an apprentice of Jesus. And so what this looks like in my life, a couple of ways. One is, is that as I read the scriptures, this and this works for me, it might not work for you, but I will just write the scripture down. So, you know, I've been really focused on Jesus, you are the vine. Um, I am the branches. God, you are that you are the gardener. And I, and I might write that down. And then the thoughts that come to my mind, I will write those down. And sometimes the thoughts are almost in the first person. It's like, friend, I love you, but, but you spend a lot of time doing X. And, and that's not a bad thing, but it's not the best. Could we, could we like cut that out of your life or kind of pull back on that? You know, so it's like I begin to, uh, you know, Fran, you're trying to do all this on your own. Just rest and relax. Rest in me. So, so I, I, so I take this verse, but then I begin to write what I think, or maybe God's thoughts about me, through that passage. Does that make sense? There is this listening, this, this being in God's presence where I talk, but then I also listen. Another example of this, last weekend I was, I was cleaning my shower. So this is another way, just be practicing God's presence, practicing listening. But I'm in there, and I've got the soap scum. I don't know. I'm in there, you know, soap scum. I got the Clorox. I got the gloves. I got the whole nine yards. My hair's in a ponytail. You know, I'm just scrubbing in there. And my mind had kind of gone, I don't know, just like my thoughts were undisciplined. And so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, 
I became aware of what I was thinking. And it wasn't that great because for whatever reason, I had started thinking about somebody that I used to work with and I was beginning to rehearse all these negative thoughts about this person in my brain. And it was like, oh, I shouldn't do that. And I started to say, don't think about that. Don't think about that. But in that moment, I said, Lord, I invite you into the shower with me right now. You know, you're here, you're present, you're a part of these thoughts. And then I asked this question. I said, Lord, what are your thoughts about so-and-so? Well, let me tell you, God's thoughts are not critical. Did you know that? (laughs) God's thoughts are not judgmental. God was like, oh, that's my son. I love him. Yeah, and I and I I have I feel mercy towards him. And and my my attitude began to shift as I listened to what God had to say about this individual. Does that make sense? And so as we think about silence and solitude and this rhythm of prayer, it's my hope for you and my hope for me that prayer won't be something that we feel embarrassed about, ashamed of, inadequate about, but I hope that it is something that brings you joy that brings you life, that is a way of you abiding in Jesus, abiding in the vine, and and following that practice, because really everything that we do that that impacts the kingdom of God, it's going to come out of that relationship that we have with him. Just like the apprentice, he was with the master printer, that he might do what that master printer learned to become what he did, and then to do what he did. And so that's my hope, and my hope for you and me. Imagine the difference it can make if we put this principle into practice this week.